Well, good morning. Good to see you all out on this uh, very frigid January day. Uh, thank you for your perseverance and uh, just your intentionality to come together to worship uh, corporately. There's something so significant about that and uh, so important, so it's good to be together. Uh, these first Sundays in January are sort of a lead-up or priming the pump uh, for our missions festival, or you might call it a prequel of just giving a bit of a glimpse and, and introducing some things that will lead uh, up to the actual missions festival starting next week and for the next uh, two weeks as we get into a number of, a number of things. Uh, Caleb Kreider is going to be here two weeks from now, and he's one of the authors of a book uh, called Tradecraft. And uh, we're going to be uh, connecting with uh, some of that material over the next uh, couple of weeks uh, today as well. we we'll just referencing some of that uh, also as it sort of starts to shape and form some of our thinking around the theme of this missions festival. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Harry began and started with a message that the prime um, a message being that we are all sent ones. We are all sent in the same manner that Jesus was sent by his heavenly Father uh, from that text in, in John uh, chapter 17. And today what I want to do is I want to have us focus uh, on our context that we've been sent to. What is the particular culture and context that we have been sent to in terms of where it is that we, that we live? And we'll, we'll come back to that and, and spend some, some time in that. I want to just start, though, by uh, referencing back to the season that we just came through, the Christmas season. And I don't think that there is any more uh, powerful a story of, of showing us the heart of God or celebrating the missionary God that we worship than the Christmas season, as you think about that. Uh, I think it shows us that in the absolute greatest sense of this God who came to this earth as a loving God. Uh, David Bosch, a missiologist, he, he says this, mission is not primarily the activity of the church, but an attribute of God. It's part of the very character of who God is. Uh, and we see that, as I said, in the story of Christmas. That's what we celebrate. God didn't uh, give money, didn't set up a missions committee, didn't do a missions bulletin board. He went himself in the form of Jesus, his son. And that is the heart of this uh, missionary God, God Emmanuel, God with us, that we want to be captivated by, that uh, we celebrate and that we worship this God who came near. When you look at that well-known verse and that that text in John 3.16, which so many people, even if they are ones who end up not going to church or have drifted long away from the church. Most people can quote John 3.16. They've heard it referenced so many different times. But this God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the heart of God. This is who God is, this God that we worship, this Savior, Jesus, who rescues us, who loves us so much that he came and he died for us, to reconcile our brokenness and our broken lives with this God who is holy, to forgive us our sins so that we might be uh, together and in relationship with this holy God as forgiven, redeemed, and whole people, made free, cleansed, new creations. That is the gospel message of hope. That is the love of God. That is the embodiment of Jesus, of one who took on flesh in a particular culture at a particular time in a way that literally changed the world. But here's the thing. 
as we, um, as we talk about missions, as we talk about taking this message and proclaiming this message to the world, and as we'll see today in the Great Commission, from Jerusalem literally to the ends of the earth, or as we articulate it from Saskatoon at the river here to the ends of the earth, the thing that we have to understand is that we will not have any passion for this. We will not have any desire to do this. We will not even have an inkling of why we would do this in terms of being on God's mission unless we are captivated by the person of Jesus Christ. Unless this message of hope, this gospel itself has infused into our hearts and into the very pores of our soul. Unless it has captivated us and changed us and transformed us and has become this piece of our lives that is not just a piece of our lives, but is the whole of our lives, then we have no story to tell. We have no message to bring. And all it becomes is an empty marketing gimmick. So I want us to really understand that as we prepare ourselves and enter into this missions festival and this season that we are called to be transformed. And in Colossians 1 verse 6, I think this this verse is so powerful in, in showing us this where the Apostle Paul is writing to this church here, and he says, the same good news that came to you is going out all over the world, and it is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day that you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. What he's saying in that is that this gospel has changed you. As he's speaking to this church in Colossae, he's saying, it has absolutely transformed you. And this same gospel that has changed you is going out all over the world and it's changing lives. And as I read that, what strikes me and convicts me about that is that question of, has it changed mine? Has this gospel changed my life? Am I an evidence of that, of a transformed life, of somebody who has been captivated by the person of Jesus Christ? this Savior, and and recognizing my need for salvation and the sin in my life and the need for repentance and forgiveness, has that captivated me so much so that I actually have a story to tell? That's what this text uh, is pointing us to and I think is, is so important for us as we enter into this missions festival season to reflect again on the transformation and the work of the gospel in our own lives because that is the story that we are called to tell. Is it changing you? transforming you, captivating you. So there's this progression that I I want us to understand that there is this gospel that changes us and transforms us, like it says in that text in Colossians 1.6. And then the second step is that we, we see ourselves as actually sent ones, that we would be, recognize ourselves as called as missionaries, each and every one of us. And then thirdly, that we would start to understand, and this is what we're going to look at today, is what is the context that we have been sent to But unless those first two are in place, unless we understand the gospel and have had it transform and change us, and unless we understand that we are sent ones and called just like Jesus to be sent to the world, then to understand our context, well, we won't because we won't think in that way or we won't live in that way with that kind of mindset. And that is what we want to be thinking about and challenging ourselves with today. The the primary texts for today are are well-known texts about the Great Commission. I want to encourage you to turn there to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to also flip over and look at Acts chapter 1 and the one verse that that is there, which I think is so much a part of it. 
In Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus is about to return to the hand of his heavenly Father, and he's preparing his disciples, and he is giving them this incredible mission. And he says to them this. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end, end of the age. He says, go. He says, make disciples. He says, do so in the name of the Trinity, of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, teach them to obey. It's at the heart of discipleship is helping people understand not only the word of God, but obedience to the word of God. He says, make disciples. What's interesting here is he doesn't even say, go plant churches. He says, go make disciples, and churches will follow. If you flip over to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the... uh, What's recorded here by Luke when Jesus is returning to his father in in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. So Jesus says you will receive power and he talks about the power of this Holy Spirit that he is leaving with us. The power for this mission. And he says, it's your call to go and to be a witness. To testify of what you have seen and heard and experienced. That's what a witness does. They give testimony to what they have seen and observed. They give testimony to what they have experienced. And he says, you are to go and to be a witness. And to proclaim and to do so in Jerusalem, right there in that city that you are in. And then he goes from Judea, that surrounding region that Jerusalem was the capital of. And then he says, go to Samaria, your distant cousins, those who have been removed from you, those that you actually have broken relationships with. And then he says, and go right on to the very ends of the earth. And sometimes we have these sort of debates and we wonder, well, is this call of missions, is this, are we to be local or global? And it's, it's never an either-or thing. It's always both and. It's always from Jerusalem to the very ends of the earth. And you can't make it clear here how the call of the church is to be witnesses to what Jesus is doing and has done and proclaim that and live that in all of those different places. How Jesus has given authority, power, direction, and strength for the missionary life ahead. You see, we can't outsource the Great Commission. Great Commission has been given to the church. And the church is the people. The church is you and me. It's each one of us that that we have been given this Great Commission and this call to go. And it doesn't matter if you are a pastor, a plumber, a musician, a teacher, a mom, an accountant, a laborer, or whatever the case may be. It applies to every single one of us. This call to go, to make disciples, to be engaged and involved in this great commission of being witnesses to what Christ has done in our lives. So let me make it really simple for you here. If you're wondering, okay, so what is my context? What is the context that I have been called to? If you live in Saskatoon, and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have been called to the city of Saskatoon to be a missionary. It's as simple as that. This is your calling. 
And maybe you don't know how exactly long you're going to be here. Maybe this is a transition time. Maybe this is a kind of a, a bit of a, a hiccup in what you see as the journey of your life. But if you're here right now, here's your mission field. How do you live in that way right here in the city of Saskatoon? You're not a missionary because of uh, where you live or your vocation. You're a missionary because of your identity of who you are in Jesus Christ. And to live that out in the setting that you find yourself in, to be a witness, to give testimony. You know, there's uh, a great advantage to being uh, a missionary in a setting that you're familiar with. In the missions world, when you think about missionaries out in in the different fields and the different countries around the world, uh, we call those people nationals. People who are from that setting, they're, they're from that country, they know the language and they know the the cultures and customs and so on. Well, for most of us, we're, we're nationals right here in the city of Saskatoon or in this country of Canada. And we're familiar with the language and we're familiar with the, the culture of, of Saskatoon. We're familiar with the settings. We know how to get around the city for the most part. We know the customs and what is culturally appropriate usually uh, in, in different settings. And so there's great advantage to that. But there's also a great disadvantage being called to a setting that you are so familiar with because we are so familiar with it and it becomes the water in which we swim and we are oblivious to that water and we don't understand or we don't try to understand it in a different way or see it through the eyes of Christ and see it through this call of God and this great commission and so we live and we just sort of go with the flow of our setting because it just is so easy That's the challenge of being called to this setting. And oftentimes for people who are called to other places overseas, they are reminded every day because they feel somewhat foreign in that place that they are there for a reason. And for many of us, we can forget that unique call that we have because things are so familiar for us. On our staff, one of the things that we often do if a new staff person comes on We also do it with newcomers to our church is we often ask them the question in different ways. Sometimes we actually have them write it out and we say, what do you see about our church? Tell us what you see. And it's really interesting because what we found is that in the first six months of a new staff person coming on, they see all kinds of things with new eyes and the things that we just miss when we've been around here for so long. You know what that's like. It happens right in your home. There's that hole in the wall that you've been walking past every day and you've been intending and it's like you don't even notice it anymore, right? And other people come in and go, oh, what's that? I don't know, never noticed that there before. I mean, it's true, right? I mean, when you get comfortable in a setting and you get so familiar in a context, we stop noticing things. And what I, if, if anything else, the one thing I guess I want us to capture today is that if we are to live out this missionary calling we have to start noticing in different ways. We have to start looking differently, analyzing differently, assessing the context that we are in and the water in which we swim differently. Because that's the Great Commission. And if this is the city that we've been called to, a question we might ask ourselves was, when was the last time that we wept over the city? And said, Lord, help me to see with your eyes the brokenness that is here in this city. And Lord, help me to see the barriers to the gospel and the bridges to the gospel that are here that we need to see again or maybe see for the first time. Help me to see the opportunities in 
broken relationships or the situations that I'm a part of that I can see the truth and the reality and the hope of the gospel in those settings and maybe be a witness, maybe be a proclaimer, maybe give testimony to some of that. Because if Saskatoon is our Jerusalem, we, we need to be asking those questions of what are the barriers? What are the bridges to the gospel that are here? How might we think a little bit more in that way in this important work of a missionary that each one of us is called to? One of the words that is often used for this is called to exegete. There's a big fancy word. It just simply means to draw out. It means to, and it's when it's applied to studying something or extracting meaning from something. So when we exegete the Bible, we try to understand it and we draw out the meaning in the context that we read in Scripture. We're called to do that all the time. But if we are to exegete a culture, what that means is, is that it is the missionary exploration of a culture from a kingdom perspective. That we look at the setting that we live in and we exegete it. We start to think differently and understand, okay, what, what is actually going on in my workplace? What are some of the cultural dynamics that are happening there that I need to understand? What are some of the things going on in our city that we can understand as barriers or bridges to the gospel and to to understand it in a different way, to to see our context through spiritual eyes? And how is it that we might make the gospel relevant in that setting and to proclaim it in maybe a unique way or to help contextualize it in one way or another? You know, when when we think of missionaries who work overseas and do it in other cultures, we we can think of many stories, and we, we celebrate that, that people contextualize all the time. And yet it's something that it seems like we are so uh, hesitant or unable to do that as effectively as we might right here in this setting. And there's all kinds of stories if you think about missionaries who go overseas and do cultural exegesis and who contextualize the gospel in different ways. One of them, there's an there's a anthropologist who studied a tribe in New Guinea And this tribe was a very interesting tribe because they were ones who actually celebrated betrayal. That was a high value and a a valuable or a high virtue within that culture was that you would actually gain the trust of somebody and uh, you would get close to them and then you would betray them in the most spectacular way. And the more public, actually, the more it was celebrated. Not the kind of people you want to be friends with, but interesting to study. And so when Christian missionaries went into this, cult, into this context in New Guinea and they started to tell the story of Jesus and the disciples, people in that tribe stood up and started clapping when they came to the story of Judas because they thought he was the hero of the story. No. So now we've got to start thinking differently. Well, how do you understand or explain in that context the reality of the gospel? You have to contextualize differently. There's a a book that many of you have read, and we give it to all of our, I think we still give it to all of our short-term missions team called Bruchko, and the story of Bruce Olson who went out into South America to see, uh, to minister to this tribe of people, I think it's called the Motoloni people, uh, in Colombia, in Venezuela, a very violent tribal group actually, and he was with them for years and years before he gained credibility and actually suffered greatly with disease and even all kinds of abuse at the hands of these people. And finally gained some measure of respect after so long of being in this place. But then because of the limitations of their language, was really struggling with how to articulate putting your trust in Jesus. Because their language and the words that they had and didn't have didn't really lend itself to that. And so finally he he got onto this image that actually really made sense in that context. 
And these were people who slept in hammocks. And their hammocks would be way up in these communal houses that they had, and they would be suspended high in the air. And so it was really important for these hammocks to be tied securely onto secure things, or you had quite a fall in the middle of the night. And so what he landed on was this image that when you put your trust in Jesus, he says, it's like tying your hammock into Jesus. And they got it. It made sense to them. That's what trusting in Jesus is, putting your life in his hands. As a church, we've been connected to the ministry in in Panama for many years, as you know. And so many of you have been there. And one of the challenges that Anna and Herlesa shared uh, with us, I remember in our first years of going there, was that with the Waunan people, and in their Waumeo language, there is actually no words that translate for repentance and forgiveness. There's no Waumeo words for those. For forgiveness, there's sort of this shallow word that sort of means, well, just forget about it. But it's a very shallow kind of thing. So Anna and Herlesa were, were talking about how hard it is to, how do you explain the gospel without a word for repentance or forgiveness? And so you have to use different language and different imagery and different uh, examples and different stories. All of this is contextualization. It's understanding what's the context that we're in and how do we explain the never-changing gospel in an ever-changing world. And and some of us were in the lifetime class at 9.30 with Nathan and Judy. And uh, what a great session of, they're talking about their, their work with leaders around the world. And the constant contextualization that they do. And and Nathan used the language of, he says, we talk about a value proposition because it's language that works with business leaders. And so it's contextualizing, how do we talk about the hope of the gospel and about Jesus Christ in that setting? And this is the call for every one of us is to contextualize. How do we talk in a very relevant way about the gospel? One of our core values as a church is the core value of relevance. And, and sometimes I know people have wondered, well, what does that exactly mean? What we're talking about today really gets at the heart of what that core value is about. That first and foremost, that the gospel is relevant to our lives, that it has changed us, that it is current, that it is relevant to every aspect of our lives, that we have a testimony to give, that we have something to give witness to. And then secondly, that we live and and work and breathe and exist as a church in a way that is relevant, that we have programs and ministries and that we do things that actually connect in a relevant way to this context. And I know that as the church in general, we so often are so far behind in that. We have to constantly be a church that is changing because our culture is changing. And we constantly have to be asking questions, how do we portray and proclaim and live out this gospel message in this context? What is the water that we swim in? How can we better understand it and make it relevant? Caleb Kreider, in his book, he talks about four elements, and I'm just going to briefly touch on them. And I'm kind of intentionally not going to go into them a lot because I want you to go into them this week as part of an assignment that I'm going to give you at the end of the message in just a few minutes. But I want you to think about these four elements that he talks about of things that will help us to exegete our culture. And those four things are story, space, idols, and conflict. Stories, space, idols, and conflict. And first of all, stories. When you go into a context or you go into a culture, one of the first things missionaries will tell you, they'll listen to the stories of the people. What are are the stories that are there that are prevalent among the people? 
that, that sort of fuel the values and reveal the values of the culture in one way or another. There's folk tales, there's hero stories. What are the jokes that are often told, right? I mean, think of your family reunions. They reveal these things, right? What are the stories that are told in your family settings over and over again? The jokes that you get tired of, but it's part of your culture, right? And so you listen for those things. Because stories are containers of truth. And and stories are also kind of hooks that help you attach truth to the truth of the gospel and help people understand the truth of the gospel in the context of their story. So if you drive around this city and you look at different things, you will notice some things. One of the central statues in our city is this statue of Chief Whitecap and John Lake. And it's right there on the end of that bridge that doesn't go anywhere. And, uh, but there's that statue that's there, and it's an interesting place to go and take people to. And actually, lots of times we've even had prayer vigils around that place. Because you know what? That statue tells a story. It tells a very important story of the beginnings of this city, of Chief Whitecap and John Lake and how it was founded on Christian principles. And and so we look for those kinds of things. What are the stories that are there within any city or any context? And you know them. You see them. You hear them. One of the interesting things I've often done is, is when I see people with tattoos, I ask them the story. Culturally, tattoos are getting... Uh, more and more common all the time. Many of you are pulling down your sleeves and hiding them right now as I speak. Um, there's lots of stories in this room, but I figure, you know what, if somebody's going to put ink in their, you know, on their skin, there's obviously a story behind that. So I often ask, I say, hey, tell me the story of that. And it's amazing the conversations that you can have around that story. Because oftentimes it's something very significant and very deep. And sometimes it's pain, and sometimes it's celebration, and sometimes it's remembering. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we can get at people's stories, but to ask these questions and just have people reflect those stories back to us. Tom Wolfe is a missionary who says that uh, the missionary's role is to retell people's stories back to them in the light of the gospel. And he says Jesus did this all the time. He didn't tell new stories. He told old ones that the audience had heard before and they knew and they understood and they realized that the story was about themselves. Second thing that Kreider talks about is space. How do people live in their space? How do they maintain their space? How do they um, organize their space? Is there closeness in their space? And you go to Europe, you see all kinds of public space. If you are here in Canada, you see lots of private space. What does that look like? What are the idols of a culture? What are the things that are there that we put our trust in, that we give our time and our money to? How do we understand those things? What are the objects of our passion? And they're seldom obvious, but they're so important. And then fourthly, conflict. What are the conflicts that are in a setting? What are the stories of conflicts in this city that we need to know and understand that have long history that are either barriers or bridges to the gospel? How do we sharpen what we notice about these things? It was January 12th, 2007. And there is a true story about a violinist who went to a subway station in Washington and played for 45 minutes. And he played six classical pieces as thousands of people walked past on their way to work that day in Washington, D.C. 
Apparently only six people actually stopped and listened. A few paused for a brief second, but most hardly noticed at all. The one who paid the most attention was a three-year-old boy who eventually got dragged away by her mother because they had to go. A few put coins into the open case. Some put some bills, and this violinist, this young violinist, raised a total of $32. When he finished playing, it was silence. Closed up his case. There was no applause, and he walked away virtually unnoticed. What no one knew was that this violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the best musicians in the world. He played one of the most intricate pieces ever composed for the violin that day on a violin that was worth $3.5 million. He plays over 200 gigs a year in packed stadiums around the world. And just two nights prior to that, he had played to a sold-out audience in Boston for about $100 a ticket. And it was a social experiment, so to speak. But here is this same man with all of these gifts playing this most incredible music and nobody pays attention. And my question for us is, what do we notice? Do we notice the beauty of God? Do we notice the incredible story of the gospel? Do we notice what God is doing in the stories of the people around us in our workplaces, in our families, in our schools? Do we notice the conflict stories that reoccur? And how does the gospel speak into that as a bridge? What are the barriers to this gospel story? Do we see the wonder of God's creation and the wonder of God at work? And do we see what truly is valuable and has beauty? This is the great commission that we are called to. To be witnesses to this story. And the little task I want to leave you with today as you go into this week is a very simple task. But it's maybe one step in this missionary journey of exegeting our culture. I've done this a number of years ago with our staff. I've done this in a lifetime class that sent people out. And all I want you to do is this. Sometime this week, I want you to go into a very public space. Maybe it's a food court. Maybe it's a mall. Maybe it's a, a, play, a sports arena of some kind. Just go into a public space, and all I want you to do is sit and listen And observe and pray. And say, God, help me to see with your eyes. What do you see amongst all of these people? And allow the Spirit of God to speak to you about what God sees that we so often don't see. That's your assignment this week as we prepare for this missions festival. Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for... uh, this incredible calling that you have given each one of us. And uh, Lord, we confess and we repent that so often we are people who just miss what is right in front of us, what is so valuable, what is beautiful. Maybe where you are at work in the midst of painful stories or conflict stories. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be people who are more keenly aware of the calling that you have given us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that for those of us as followers of Jesus Christ, that you would help us to know more intimately and passionately this gospel message that changes and transforms us, that we would have a story to tell. And those, for those here, Lord, that do not know you, I pray that they would see a, a huge picture of your story, that they would be captivated by your beauty and your gospel. And so, Lord, help us to notice. Help us to see this culture and this city differently. For your kingdom's sake, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.